today. <laughs> so I actually had the opportunity to shoot uh, a podcast that I run called The Process. I uh -huh. did that this evening. And then I got a last minute call to join another group called Beyond Clean, um, which does a lot of social media in the healthcare and the sterile processing space. So mm -hmm. I was able to do two live shows today from that space. Ah, <laughs> which like which part of the room did you use? So I actually, <laughs> actually faced out toward the window in the uh -huh. first one to just take advantage of all the, the greenery that's back there. Well, uh -huh. It's not so green now in, yeah. in the weather. But um, I did that. And then actually I kept it in that space. But of course, when... Uh, dark time came um it's like almost more of a mirror uh -huh. so the the uh, audience was able to see like a behind the scenes view of everything that i was looking at with myself and my microphone and everything in the screen so oh that's cool it worked out pretty good yeah yeah it was nice <laughs> so so uh, so right uh, through one more time the 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 uh, the windows were your background. Yeah, the windows oh, my background. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. No, and I, it's so funny because I noticed that last night when I was just dropping gear off that I was like, um, God, and even the, uh, start, I had video dropping like issues on Saturday for Lights Fantastic Parade. And I'm looking at this now and it's like, doing the same thing. I don't care. We're recording it. We're done. This is really about the audio and the experience. Awesome. The visual is just like the addition to it. But anyway, back to where I was. So I was looking at that last night. I walked up and I looked at it. I was like, wow. I was like, this is like a Matthew McConaughey-esque like commercial feeling. Yes. Like, <laughs> you drive a Lincoln. <laughs> and like just looking into the reflection of myself in the window. And I was like, all right, I feel something here. So it's kind of cool to like, you're the first person I get to share that experience with. Yes, yes. It was very nice. <laughs> it worked out really well. So like how like how did you get into the content creation and, and kind of where you're at now with the creative Ooh. projects that you're working on? Um, totally by accident. Was not the design, um, not the career plan at all. So <laughs> I um, have built my career in the sterile processing field, um, coming up as a tech and into management. Mm -hmm. And that's allowed me to travel all over. Um, and then I had an occasion just being on social media, just being in the comments. I'm very vocal. No. You know, you <laughs> might have seen comments. me around <laughs> a, a comment section or two. Um, and, of course, like said something spicy in the comments and got invited on to the show. And mm -hmm. so um, the podcast creator, his name is Denard Esnard. He's out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania uh -huh. right now. Um, they invited me on as a guest and then I never left. <laughs> <laughs> so we've become co-hosts um, and business partners in that brand. Um, and then that has also allowed me to launch um, my own small business, mm -hmm. um, which I'm in the process of building out um, to train sterile processing technicians and to also do some uh, patient advocacy and public advocacy. So folks understand what we do, why it's important to them, um, you know, like getting people like the public health department to understand what we're doing and what they should be looking for so that patients are safe no matter where they are ah and that all right this is where i gotta work through my latest attempt at introductions here on the wtf carbondale podcast where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back to this little old place we call home carbondale illinois where i didn't have the clever little lead in this time because i had too much brain space wrapped up in which buttons i pressed to get us to where we need to be on the new only one camera switcher sort of deal. And you get to know all about the different techie issues that go yes. on behind the scenes here now, but that's not neither here nor there. <laughs> Alessandra Nicholson, thank you for joining me on the podcast so much. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Like this is exciting. <laughs> like I had no idea that you were in town and like that you had been in town for a little bit and, and that like this just worked out. And I was like, I was going to see 
after a day of making content all day long, can she hack another one? And yes, you can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're Carbondale born and raised. Carbondale born and raised. Yes, indeed. Um, sometimes it feels like a tale of two cities type of experience for me um, because I grew up here and got an opportunity to take advantage of some of the opportunities here. But we also grew up low poverty here, mm -hmm. you know, below the poverty line. And so it's, it's a different experience, you know, Carbondale on the east side versus Carbondale on the west side type of dynamic um, and what's available to you so yeah. it's um and then being in that that big class of folks you have people coming from so many different backgrounds mm -hmm. um you know with the school filtering in so many different cultures so it really allowed me to be almost like i don't know like i, I feel like a quintessential american daughter now yeah because it's um it really represents this melting pot you know experience you'd sell it better than anybody like hey. it's and you've gotta it's it's not Kind of like the Matrix that I explain to people. It's like there are there are certain people that have the thing in the back of their head, and there are certain people that have smooth backs to their necks. Yes. And I was like, and some people are just actually born here. They do make people here. Yes. <laughs> they print people here. Um, and it's actually what I found um, moving out of the area, and especially within the healthcare space, mm -hmm. was that... Um, on the opposite coast, they really favor having people coming out of the Midwest for our work ethic, yeah. which um, is a little different flavored on, <laughs> on the East and the West Coast. <laughs> so People don't work as hard? Is that you what i I'm, I'm not going to say they don't work as hard. They just work differently. They work differently. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're more, especially because I think here, you know, we don't have as much of a union presence. Yeah. Um, and folks just know that they, they go, they clock in, they produce, and they go home. Yeah. Right. And that's just baked into our bread and butter uh, versus Versus in when I started in Oakland, I was actually at one of Kaiser's flagship facilities, and they were one of the birthplaces for union management partnerships in wow. healthcare. So that union experience is strong, and for better or for worse, um, you know, it's offered us a lot of uh, forward momentum. But I also see some spaces where you know folks are just kind of taking it and run with it, and you know, being especially a young manager and mm -hmm. having folks twice my age in the office where I have to tell them like put their cell phones away, <laughs> and they're coming in with their rep. And they're like, well, you need to give us phones if you expect to be able to reach me. And it's like, no, <laughs> no. Dang. That was my West Coast experience. And then East Coast, they actually advocated and won um, to get 15 minutes of change time added so that they were able to clock in. Like, say you clock in at 7, mm -hmm. they got an additional 15 minutes before and after their shift to put their clothes on and get ready for the shift. Mm -hmm. Now, the Midwest girl in me was like, uh, if the shift started at 3, that means I get here 15 minutes early because I'm going to change. I'm going to be on the floor at uh -huh. 3 o'clock. And this is like a no-brainer to me. But... It was a meetings after meetings and screaming after screaming, <laughs> you know, to arrive at this place where we actually ended up losing productive time. Now, Oakland's where you've been on the West Coast. Where were you at on the East Coast? Um, on the East Coast, I was in a town called Worcester um, outside of Boston, like 45 minutes away. white out. as hell. It <laughs> was <laughs> that. <laughs> it was that. I mean, intensely that. So the first week that I was in Worcester, um, I actually, like, I was taking a walk, trying to find a park or something. Uh -huh. um, and some people drove by and yelled out their car at me, some obscenities. And the last week that I was in Worcester um, somebody drove by and called me the n-word on my way out so I was very much like thanks Worcester <laughs> and like, peace <laughs> yes uh, but it's it's like that's that's one of the other things that you know Carbondale prepares folks for in understanding like there is 
always this baked in racism, classism, like any number yeah. of isms, uh, yeah. you know. I mean, it's it's part of what I mean by saying it's like growing up in a tale of two cities yeah. because um, like you're saying, like it makes people have to be aware of it, but that is not true. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people in Southern Illinois that are oblivious to the way that racism is baked into their experience, even when it's detrimental to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to get them to understand, like this is a real thing. It's not a made up thing. Nobody's playing the race card. <laughs> like <laughs> this stuff happens and it's in your benefit as a community to address it. Because yeah. again, it, it doesn't just stop with us, you know, especially when you're talking about systems being built on, you know, predicated on that type of experience so yeah. and mean, nobody should have to live in a place where they don't feel comfortable no i mean and and have unnecessary barriers to the most basic of you know uh what, what's the word that i'm looking for here societal activity oh absolutely right you know work experiences social experiences 100%. you know the educational and so on continue yeah so. no <laughs> I, I remember when i was graduating high school um i feel like it was like its own unique incubator because we were all in school together and everybody yeah. feeds in here um and so once we graduated you know everybody's got the same high school diploma mm-hmm. but when it came time to apply for jobs me and some of my white co um, friends we were not having the same experience you know yeah. they were getting callbacks they were getting interviews and i actually had a friendship just completely break down oh, wow. um, because the, the person just again just couldn't grasp the concept that it was systemic mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm saying to them you know what do you think is happening here if you go into that place and yeah. everybody in there looks exactly the same and you don't see anybody that you you know went to school with that's another nationality than mm-hmm. you and it was like oh well maybe they didn't apply <laughs> or <Yeah>. you know <laughs> maybe they weren't qualified yeah. and I'm like what are you talking like you're not qualified. We have a high school diploma. Yeah. So it really it, it grinds my gears and it's something that keeps Carbondale on my on my radar even though I am out and about. Yeah. Because I feel like it's something that until it moves forward, there's so much that happens kind of under the surface in the city that everybody blames like on Chicago or <laughs> whatever. It's us. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, we, we we all understand the the coded the coded language there. And my experience is the other side of that coin is like I've I've I have I have not gotten a job opportunity before that I had pursued or applied to and had a number of people in my life, all the white people in my life say, well, you didn't get that because you weren't the black person yeah. in the, the hiring process. And like, that's a, you know, that's a thing that gnaws away in the back of my head that oh, I still absolutely. go, oh, I had to deal with that thought where I thought, for in that moment and in that time, are these people that are around me that are supposedly authority figures in my life telling mm-hmm. me this, are, are they right about this? And like, Having to cut people out of your life in order to get away from that school oh, yeah. of thought is it's like... It's an issue. I, like, <laughs> when I was in high school, I participated in Lifesavers. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar, but for yep. folks that are not, it's a, it's a peer-to-peer suicide prevention program mm-hmm. where they train the youth to spot the signs of suicide and be able to, to intervene. Um, and so we would go off and we would do retreats and part of the retreat process was talking through what was bothering us, you know, Mm -hmm. getting people to a space where they understand that they also have trauma and they also have these thoughts. And that's why it's okay for us to talk about it with each other because Mm -hmm. we're all having this experience in one way or another. But one of the the biggest things that I remember about, like, especially being a group leader Mm -hmm. was 
we had so many people, again, coming in from the smaller towns outside. And one of the main things that they would talk about was how uncomfortable it was for them at home mm -hmm. when they would have to go up against their parents or their grandparents and mm -hmm. explain why they had black friends mm -hmm. or why their you know, significant other was of another race. Um, you know, even to the point where I, I heard kids talk about like their parents paying their boyfriends or girlfriends to break up with them so oh, that they, you know, very so real, it's, very it happened. It happens now. Yeah. Like this is not just history in Carbondale. This is the current status. So yeah. there's definitely still this kind of undertone of separate but equal, mm -hmm. which has never been true. You know, and when you see some of the even especially like social media presence, because that's where I, you know, I spend a lot of my time, mm -hmm. you'll see, you know, prominent hiring groups here, employment agencies here, and they'll have their NEO pictures. Everybody's Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And then you go like just go to Wikipedia and look at the demographics <laughs> and go, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. Right? Like if I if I put a call out for all these entry level positions, how did we end up with no one else here mm -hmm. but Caucasian folks? So it's it happens. And then and there's some benign i'll say somewhat benign ways that happens too it is a mm -hmm. small town uh, people tend to hire folks they know yeah people tend to hire family so nepotism especially in these larger entities is a big issue mm -hmm. and it's hard to overcome that you know if you're we say it all the time like oh it's like it's hard to get into siu it's yeah. hard to get into sih or these different entities simply because of where we are and how that works. Yeah, well, and if the pressure over time has whittled down the number of folks that are already like integral to the the networks that allow access to these space, like, you know, decades ago, you have a union hall in Carbondale. Decades ago, you have more black union members working on construction jobs oh, yeah. all over the region just via the, the proximity to that activity. Yeah. Move that to Marion. Yeah. You know, wide it up. Now you say, oh, well, we, we want to go out there. We want to have black laborers on a on a force doing a, a build, but you don't have all of the necessary, like, network components in there to go out and, and have credibility when you reach into communities and say, we'd like you to come work on yes. projects with us, right? You don't have that that familiar relationship that allows, you know, one person to explain to another person like, hey, this is what my experience was for my 30 years on the workforce. And here's why you, young person that is 18, 22, 26, whatever, should go pursue this, yes. right? There's just not that legacy activity that, no. you know, has that that could have been built, that had plenty of potential. I for. will say should have been <laughs> should have built. Been built. There you go. <laughs> because Thank you. again, like it's a unique space in the sense that you have a four year college, you've got a two year multiple two year colleges yeah. in a driving distance, um, some really big entities here. Like us being a small town and having a three hospital system is nearly mm -hmm. unheard of in the region, right? Yeah. So there's no reason why. Like sometimes I I try not to have the negative attitude, but sometimes when I see some of these new deals that are getting pinned, mm -hmm. you know, like between uh, District 95 and John A. Logan or John A. Logan and SIU and it's like why, why is it just happening now mm -hmm. when we should have been building pipelines to take our community into these spaces from the beginning mm -hmm. especially when one of the chief complaints that I hear from residents is folks come in to the school they're here you know to get their mm -hmm. their time in especially if they're doing loan forgiveness programs mm -hmm. and then they're out of here mm -hmm. right versus those of us that have a vested interest in being here that have families here there's a lot of people i know that would have never left here if they could have had a living wage yeah. right so we send our experts out you know like i y'all lost me yeah. you know <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like we send our experts out into the world and mm -hmm. then we lose that that knowledge that we have already invested so much in yeah and and there's nothing to say that like once you are here, like Carbondale is a place where you can become from. Oh, yes. Right? Like it's it's not like many places where if you haven't been there forever, you're simply never going to be from yes. there. Yes. Here, if you want to be from here, 
you just spend the time to be from here yeah. and you can be. Yep. <laughs> that is very true. And like, especially from my experience of traveling out to other cities, like that othering feeling can be mm-hmm. um, something that doesn't let you stay, right? Because you just don't feel like it's home. You don't yeah. feel like you can really represent it. Or, you know, especially if you're doing activities that are really important to that to that area. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I agree. Carbondale is one of those places where we, as a community, there's a sense of just folding in. We expect for there to be transient folks. Yeah. And we just want them to be, you know, just come into the space and, and never leave, hopefully. But... <laughs> It is. It's a unique spot where you can come in and make your own, make your own space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so how many, how many siblings do you have? Is it just B or do you have? (laughs) So I have um, my brother, Brandon, he's my older brother. And then I have a younger sister. Her name is Nicole. And then I have two other brothers on my dad's side um, that I haven't spent a lot of time with, but Mm -hmm. we're reconnecting this year with everything going virtual. Yeah. So it's been, it's been really cool. What's it been like be coming out to like visit and like, here's, here's, I just, I love it. Cause I, I just kept wondering like, what is he doing out in Oakland? What is he doing walking around, just talking walking shit city. around Raiders stadium <laughs> for what and how? And like, yes. it wasn't just like, a, Oh, I'm there for a couple of days. It was like, he was there for a minute. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was great. Um, I mean, again, because of how we came up and and even though we are a generational family that's been here for decades, we uh-huh. haven't had the same opportunities to build like businesses yeah. here and really have a foothold. And so um, me moving out of town meant a complete separation from my family. I might as well move to yeah. Switzerland, you know, <laughs> um, but my brother was able to make the trips. And so he would, you know, come out and spend time with me. And that mm-hmm. really helped me settle and not just like immediately turn around yeah. and come back home. And yeah. I'm really grateful for that because I've built a, a really great career out of out of being in spaces yeah well and and now you know pursuing the media components that makes that makes home tangible in a way that it otherwise wouldn't be with the traditional like nine to five and i, and I don't yes. know if you're still working the the traditional nine oh, to five no. from time to time or we how. joined the great resignation this year ah. yes <laughs> we'll see if i get to stay out <laughs> or if it but, pulls you right back right in, if it but, pulls me back in but yes but i, I mean I'm, I'm sure that staffing in some way shape or form like you're you are in demand no matter where you are oh absolutely and it's one of the beautiful uh things about the field that i went into which is you know even pre-pandemic um there was never a question of job security. Mm-hmm. Um, there was never a question of where can I go and have a job? Everybody yeah. has a hospital. Everybody's doing surgery. You know, so whether it's in a surgery center or a clinic or a hospital, mm-hmm. I'm going to find a place to land. Yeah. <laughs> and the other um, sort of unknown thing about our certification is that it's in- it's uh, international. Mm-hmm. So I've got techs that actually like have working as travel techs in Dubai mm-hmm. um, or, or on military bases and doing their work outside of the country. So it's, it's a really interesting opportunity. So, can you walk me through just your professional development and where, where yes. you like started and where you just kind of came out of before you got into the, the latest venture? Absolutely. Um, so I started here at SIH um, as a sterile processing tech and I had never heard of it before. I uh-huh. just applied to everything that was entry level and I was, um, I was going to SIU at the time to uh, uh, teach. I wanted to teach English. Mm-hmm. And so I just I applied and I got into the SPD department and essentially what we do is we clean and sterilize surgical instruments. Mm-hmm. So um, that's you know, one sentence, but it is extremely complex because we're looking at anything from like metal types um, to water quality to, mm-hmm. you know, air ventilation, all this fun stuff and making sure that we are able to provide a, a sterile product back to the OR. And something I see a lot with surgery patients is they just kind of assume that everything is open and you throw <laughs> it out. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but most of what we use is reusable. Yeah. So that's that's my 
my my niche and my area. And I, um, at the time here, I don't, I don't think it's still the same, but we were materials management and central services together. Mm-hmm. And so materials was this whole other arm where we had to make sure, you know, the nurses have gauze and bedpans and um, sourcing this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like we've all learned a lot about shipping now, <laughs> right? But, but, <laughs> you were already in that but yeah, materials activity. let me know that I needed to be concerned about what was going on in Turkey. Yeah. I need to be, you know, worried about what, chi- what kind of tariffs there were with China, you know, uh-huh. whether or not I was going to be able to get my packs. So it's been interesting to watch it evolve. But um, I worked there for five years. I became a supervisor there. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it's an interesting foundational experience, and I think it has really set the tone for me about what I feel like is my mission work now, mm-hmm. as far as making sure that sterile processing is a strong foundation in every community, not just mm-hmm. in the cities, and educating people that, you know, this is something you need to be concerned about. Yeah. Like, it's not just your surgeon, it's not just your nurse, it's a whole process that goes on in the background. Um, but we were doing some things that now I know are wrong, yeah. but I was trained to do them that way just because of the education that was there. So I had, was really fortunate to have a great group of people on my shift mm-hmm. and we actually got together and we studied and took the exam together and yeah. we, we took the charge on changing policies on our shift. Like we knew we couldn't, you know, make the department do what it was going to do. But mm-hmm. when you came in between three to 11, you followed that book. <laughs> okay. um, and so that was, it was really great. And that allowed me to to really get my hands dirty as far as management because I had a great group of, of friends, mm-hmm. people that I'm still friends with, that were able to make that shift between, okay, she's not just a tech anymore, now we're supporting her yeah. and her management growth. And I took that, I took a travel position um, that allowed me to move out to Oakland. And really the only reason why I took it was to make more money. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to school for healthcare management. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that on my salary if I dropped back down to part-time. Mm-hmm. And as much as we advocated for a higher rate of pay, <laughs> it just did not happen at that time. Yeah. I know they've since raised the, the rates <clears throat> and probably still need to. Do yeah. that, <laughs> but but yeah, and I was very vocal with my manager at the time. Like, mm-hmm. um, and we even ran into each other a couple years ago, and I was like, yeah, yeah, like I would have never left home, yeah. you know, if I was making a decent wage. But thank you, um, SIH for that because it kicked me out to the Bay Area, um, and I worked with some some hospitals like Car- uh, worked with Kaiser, mm-hmm. um, I worked with UCSF, um, Dignity Health. And basically just progressed through there. So I, I did a travel tech position. Um, and it was beautiful because, again, coming from the income bracket that I was in, mm-hmm. there was no safety nets for me. There's no college tuition rating mm-hmm. for me. There was no, you know, moving costs. Nobody was covering rent or anything mm-hmm. like that. So the company paid for my housing and reimbursed my travel. Mm-hmm. And I actually drove from here to California in my little Kia, like packed up everything I owned, <laughs> um, was like paying for hotel rooms as I went. And like mm-hmm. friends were were helping as I went. My brother, like shout out again to B because <laughs> there were rooms purchased as I rotated <laughs> across uh-huh. the United States. And uh, and that was great. Like it, it was it was definitely challenging. Um, like I ran into storms and all kinds of stuff. I had never like coming from here. I had never even been on a more than three lane highway. Uh-huh. So like getting out into these places, driving through the mountains and all stuff was crazy. All the mountains are yeah yeah. <laughs> I um. won't ever do that. <laughs> Interesting experience. Checked it off. <laughs> so, I'm good. Next time, right? Pick my car up on the plane. Seriously, drop it wherever <laughs> I need to be. I'm done. And it and that honestly was the whole reason why I didn't come home originally uh-huh. because the plan was 
to travel, save up some money, come back to this this small place and be able to pay up some rent and go back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I realized I would have to drive back through the mountains and they were telling me that I was going to have to have like snow chains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, no, we'll just, <laughs> we'll just extend. <laughs> I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to my like three inches of Carbondale snow, yeah. a little bit of ice on a road. Wasn't trying to have that experience <laughs> at all. So I did it. And they ended up offering me a full-time position there and I just progressed from there. Um, the supervisor with them became a manager with them. Um, it was one of the hardest experiences in my life. Like mentally, mm-hmm. it drained me. Um, yeah. I ended up leaving there just out of like of sheer burnout after the whole thing is done. But I'm grateful in the hindsight because it it baptized me into labor management partnerships that are mm-hmm. hostile. Mm-hmm. And so being able to learn very quickly, almost like how to be a baby lawyer and navigate yeah. these things and get and get to the to the compromise. Because, because when you when you saw advancement in your career did you make have to make that shift from being a union employee to being a manager so this was the interesting part was because uh coming from here there was there's no union in our healthcare um Mm -hmm. in this area and then um as a travel tech i was in i was a third party partner right Mm -hmm. so i'm not in the union i'm not working Mm -hmm. um for the company i'm more you know i'm contracted right so that was um some interesting dynamics, especially coming from the union staff, because they were like, get the hell out of here. Like, uh-huh. you, you're taking our hours, our overtime, that kind of stuff. But I never had the experience of personally working in a union. Uh, but working out there, I had to get the experience of managing um, union staff, which is a whole beast in mm-hmm. of itself. So, and it can be, I feel like... Um, I feel like there's still a lot of training that needs to be done. Like Mm -hmm. I worked there while I was there to try to put some programming into place for the managers to come in because if you're not um, accustomed to having a hostile conversation, mm-hmm. that can really overwhelm you and derail you yeah. quickly. Right? You're like, so, I got this hostile conversation. I got Hold that. On one second. No. You know, and it's just it's again like thank you, Carbondale, yeah. because uh, we got because of the dynamics here. I've been placed in conversations where you you do you got to remain calm yeah. and have this conversation with someone that has a completely different view than you and try to come to some middle ground. You know, so it really there were so many components of growing up here that prepared me for that. And even mm-hmm. though I hadn't, you know, like gone into management in school or anything like that, I had the skill set that I needed to be successful out there. Did did not taking any shit always come natural to you? I think so. <laughs> I mean, I am a Capricorn, so there's, so there's that. And I and I had a unique experience in my childhood of being a middle child, uh-huh. um, but also just because of the dynamics being um, being responsible for raising or not. I won't say raise. Let me not. <laughs> Did you just myself. say you had to raise Brandon? No. Raising <laughs> some other people's children, yeah. um, and so that that was the training. Yeah. And I t- I tell people that all the time. They like I would get um, other managers, other peers that would come in. Um, and, and especially when I started in uh, management, I was 26. Mm-hmm. And so I was very young in a corporate space, mm-hmm. you know, as a leader. Um, and I, I really, what let me know I was doing something all right was having older folks come down to me and say, Alessandra, I'm having this issue with my staff and I need you to tell me how I navigate it. You know, how can we have this conversation or I really want you to be in this meeting. And it was like, oh, okay, like, I, I got this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I think I know what I'm doing, but. That that prepared me because when especially when you're managing small children, you you have to learn how to you know push and pull, how to entice when it's time to you know lay down the law. Uh-huh. You learn all of that, and adults don't change. I tell like everybody when they ask me about management, I'm like, if you can manage a room of toddlers, mm-hmm. 
you got management skills. You know, and I, and I tell my kids this all the time. I'm like, I don't care if you're 11 years old. I was like, the people that you engage with now are going to be the same exact people that yes. you engage with in nearly the same exact same way. way. The only difference is some of them are going to have money and some of them aren't by that point. And that's that's it. Everything else that's is it. baseline. Like, <laughs> like, humanity is humanity from like yes. cradle to grave. And it's, <laughs> it's what worries me, especially now that everything is switching so heavily yeah. onto the online formats. And people the aren't ready for that like social space. Man. And understand how to it, it can become it. overwhelming and they'll either just like bark and bow out or you know or just don't <laughs> participate and neither one works when you're trying to build a team yeah. or build a community um you have to be able to talk to people yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so i hope that one of the things i want to do with my institute is is training folks that way because we we do a lot of like um i call it post-market surveillance but we do a lot of surveys mm -hmm. with our patients after the fact of how their care was and the industry is trending and starting to understand that we need to do that while they're there so mm -hmm. like we're seeing more leaders rounding on patients when they're in their rooms but the nine times out of ten the things that patients are concerned about is like was somebody nice to them Mm -hmm. You know, they can have horrible care, but if the place was clean and people were nice to them, mm -hmm. they almost won't even comment on it. Yeah. But that is something that is, we're trending in the wrong direction. People are getting shorter. People are getting ruder. You mm -hmm. know, people are kind of having this is me versus the world attitude. Mm -hmm. And that service component is being turned into a tagline of like, you know, servant leadership and all this. And what does it mean? It means giving a fuck. Like it yeah, means that's it. It's, it, 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 that, it's that simple. It means Get that. A fuck. <laughs> you have to have empathy and compassion. And I don't care who you are. Yeah. If you don't have it, I cannot raise you to have it. And empathy and compassion doesn't mean putting up with people's shit. That no. is a difference completely. Honestly, I mean, sometimes compassion means having a hard line, mm -hmm. um, especially when you're coming from a leadership perspective, yeah. because I have to I'm managing a bigger view than what you're giving me right now. You yeah. might be talking to me about a singular issue, but I'm talking about this entire process. Yeah. Me catering to you may collapse this, these other things. And mm -hmm. I have to be cognizant of that. Yeah. And I have to be uh, confident about that, even if you don't understand. Right. Yeah. So it might not be a situation where I can console you and say, you know, you see where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. And you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, like now that you've Buddy. broken that down, I got it. <laughs> right? Usually it's more like, you know, <laughs> whatever. Like, I came to the office, I gave you this issue, and you did nothing. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm, it's not that I did nothing. I considered it. You know, I thought I about what you said, and then I had to go do what I had to do. Yeah. So. It's it's a, I mean even with that it's a mix because you also got to have input. You got to be able to come to them and make sure that they feel seen, they feel heard, um, and not in a trivial way. Yeah. You know I don't want you to just give them a cookie or some hot chocolate one day and say yeah. you know don't you feel seen? Like don't you feel heard? This <laughs> is, this is I, I was talking to somebody last week about like just the oversaturation of motivational quotes and all that other oh. bullshit. And, ah, she, she said Bleh. sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick. I'm sick of hearing the word authenticity. I'm like, I'm sick of the thought leaders. Um, <laughs> like, go out and do some work. We'll judge you based on that. How's that please sound? <laughs> go do it. It's better by example than than by explanation, in my opinion. And it's not good enough to just you know share a, a motivational quote. You got to learn how to put that into action. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that a lot of industries have no clue. Yeah. Right. And it's why they're losing their staff. I have team members that I can call today that will follow me to whatever city I go to yeah. because they trust in you know in the product that I provide and the way that I resource them. Yeah. 
But we're seeing folks that can't maintain their staff right around the corner. You know, they're jumping ship to go to a hospital down the street Mm -hmm. simply because people don't have management skills. Nobody's coming out of their office. Nobody's getting off the WebEx. Nobody's actually putting in the work. Yeah. And, like, the work is where the people are. Where the people are. If you're not connected with your frontline staff, I don't care what industry you're in, if Mm -hmm. you're not strongly connected with your frontline staff, you're not successful. Yeah. You're just not. You're either, you might be making money, but you're not making as much as you could. You're not as efficient as you could be. You're not as safe as you could be. Um, If you don't have strong team, uh, just a team uh, sentiment, Mm -hmm. you might be paying hundreds of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars for safety issues that simply because I don't, I don't like him. So I don't tell him that there's a a puddle over there or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some issue and it's the, to me, that financial component is something that gets lost. Oh yeah. Especially in healthcare, just how much money we waste. And when it's coming, when it comes to the fact that there's so much public money coming into these institutions, Mm -hmm. that's when it starts to rub me the wrong way. Because I don't wanna be, you know, reimbursing you for subpar care. I don't wanna be reimbursing you for subpar business practices, Mm -hmm. you know, where you just have no true comprehension of on how, who's ordering or, you know, how much money is being paid out for these things that are completely and totally unavoidable. And then turning around and billing our patients at a premium for a product that is not premium. It's just it not. really is just the basics of customer service. It really is. Like doesn't he, you know it's not it's not even about like okay cool yes you need quality health care but it's like beyond that like you just need treated like a human being. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean and now hiring practices are trending towards hiring for soft skills because mm-hmm. they figured out you know, yeah, you can be highly qualified. You can have so many letters behind your name <laughs> and be a total douche. And that's right. <laughs> now I can't, I, that's good for nothing. Yeah. You know, because every time I have a patient or a customer come in to deal with you, they don't want to come back here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it becomes an issue for sure. Oh, this is good. I, I mean, I really was like tearing back and forth with this just a handful of days ago into to just have a follow-up conversation that's just like a fresh person with with the right ideas to like reinforce on my end. I appreciate you for that. Yeah, you're like, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely welcome. I don't know how we've managed to be um, the new thought leaders on this, but but it's it's happening. Like, yeah. As we see, I think some of people are just fed up with bullshit. People are done with it. it. They're done with it. And I think generationally, too, the more that we're seeing, you know, millennials and Gen Z's come into the space. Some of the old guard are finding that there are processes that we were doing just for the sake of ego stroking. Yeah, it's not efficient. It's not productive. (laughs) You know, so let's start to pull back and things like the pandemic, honestly, um, we're game changers because we couldn't do our old processes of setting a meeting a month from now mm-hmm. and coming in with our data and researching it, nobody paying attention, and then coming back next month <laughs> to do the vote. Right? We had to get active. We had to yeah. move fast. What did you pick up from like learning or from working in a major hospital system? Like, you know, Kaiser Kaiser Health is definitely one of those. Like, I hear them on PBS oh, yeah. News Hour all the time. You know, well, by five by Kaiser Health, so I know like that's a big name. Yeah. Yeah, they're one of the, if not the biggest uh, health systems in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but more importantly, they are uh, the progressive leaders. So mm-hmm. there's so much research that comes mm-hmm. out of Kaiser, and there's so there's so many other portions of the industry that follow them. Even from a legislative perspective, uh-huh. they have a big influence on the healthcare market. Um, and I would say what I noticed from working like in a smaller uh, facility in versus larger corporations mm-hmm. was nothing. 
there's no difference. Huh. Um, there's like if you go and you look at the top health and they give you, you know, you're seeing um, Mass General, you're seeing, I probably shouldn't say names because I'm yeah, on podcast, yeah, just, but whatever. You're seeing, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're seeing the top health systems, top 14 health systems. You can Google them right now. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you, you're not any safer at any one of them. Yeah. Than you are at SIH. And that's not to say that SIH is very safe. Mm-hmm. It's to say that they're all not safe. Yeah. Um, a lot of our processes are, have just been built, again, on old information, old um, technology or systems that are just moving very slow to progress. Yeah. And or just lack oversight in general in a meaningful way. And has, has technology really kind of been able to kind of I don't know the paint over is the, the right phrase to it, but it's like to, to say that the gains made in technology could could be greater if the if there was equal amount of attention paid to processes oh, yeah. as there is to technology. That like the combination of the two could be there, but right now we've really just got technology because technology is kind of the money sector, right? Processes oh, yes. processes cost you money. Yeah. Technology makes you money. Yes. <laughs> and and within healthcare, it's everything is about a dollar, right? Yeah. Everything at the end of the day is a bottom line dollar. And I, I say it on our podcast all the time. Don't forget this is a business. Yeah. We don't exist if the patients don't come in here and spend money. Yeah. We don't exist if insurance companies are not reimbursing us. And that means that from the outside in, a lot of that drives what we do. Yeah. You know, so if CMS is saying they're only going to uh, reimburse us so much money for a procedure, that means as a facility, I've got to drive down cost until I make a profit on mm-hmm. that procedure. Nobody's doing surgery for free. And when it's time for me to cut cut costs or cut corners or drill down time, that may mean that the process is suffering. Mm-hmm. So not having, I think one, not having a real community understanding of, of things like community health. I mean, we're still mm-hmm. teaching people how to wash their hands. Yeah. Um, I was in a bar here last night and I'm definitely not going to drop names, but <laughs> they were trying to do their COVID restrictions uh-huh. and the person sprays and wipes, sprays and wipes. There's nothing clean on that surface. Nothing died. You didn't give enough contact time. You know, if you don't even know to turn the bottles around. So if that's the baseline of our information about clean versus Mm -hmm. dirty or sterile versus unsterile, then imagine what I'm getting on up the line. (laughs) Well, and I mean, and and that's become kind of the thing, right? Everybody's marketing now says, well, we're worried about your health and safety. We are safe and clean. We are blah, 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 blah. And it's all just lip service. It's It's like you you can't market your way to a safer, you know, social, community, societal, like, setting. No. (laughs) You cannot market your way there. Um, And we try to do it inside of the hospitals all the time. Um, You know, even the processing part is is big money in healthcare. We pay so much to bring in consultants, um, to have, you know, folks come do lean methodologies Mm -hmm. with us and, and Blackboard projects and um, and those consultants are expensive. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the last place that I left, they they brought in a HR group to try to figure out um, some of the racial issues that were going on between the two departments, mm-hmm. um, especially in the areas where some of the sciences inside the hospital have been delineated to service work because they generally comprise black and brown folks and mm-hmm. they're generally entry level. Um, and things that people don't understand, like cleaning, right? Like one of the reasons why we don't have high value on EVS workers is because we don't know how to clean. Mm-hmm. So, so you see these... Um, Can you these, define EVS for me? Yes, it's environmental services. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so all of your housekeepers are in your um, EVS departments. And yeah, we, we, mm-hmm. we spend an exuberant amount of cash bringing folks in to come do week a week with us and walk through and tell us, 
yeah, you need to fix all of this. Mm -hmm. You knew you needed to fix it. That's why you brought me in here. <laughs> and here's my 32-page PDF on how you're going to get there. And you can call me if you want me to come back and help you, and that's going to be some more money. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's just a lot of... Um, there's been a lot of markets created within that space, and it, it just continues to drive us away from having a central solution yeah. or standardization, you know, in the process. Well, and I, and I think that a central solution just rests at pay people a little bit more money, let them take a little bit more pride in their work, and then see what the results look like on the other side. And I you may know, just be naive in that statement, but... It's <laughs> it's something that I think it matters. Um, mm -hmm. I won't say it's a magic wand, you yeah. know, that we just pay them all more and we're going to get a better product. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it would go a long way in us being able to retain talent, which is a huge issue for us right now, mm -hmm. is keeping folks that are competent in the space. If they can't afford to live then they can't stay. Mm -hmm. um, and especially within the healthcare industry, because it's generally private or um, public in the sense that even when it's private, it's getting a lot of public dollars. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have the same uh, interest in doing things like a Google may have transportation or mm -hmm. may have on-site care or may provide lunches um, or they do weird things <laughs> like cater to their power dynamics. Mm -hmm. So where um, some hospitals will almost all will offer discounted or free food for their physicians, mm -hmm. they don't offer discounted or free food for their staff. Mm -hmm. So while this person absolutely can afford to probably buy out this cafeteria yeah. for everybody yeah. that's eating uh -huh. in here today, the person that's making eight, eight, 20, Five is being charged, yeah. you know, at a premium rate. So it, it's just it's stuff like that where we're just disconnected. We're, we're not mm -hmm. there. And honestly, especially from a management perspective of like being in meetings and asking for new staff or, or having these compensation conversations and market analysis and all this fun stuff. It wasn't until this year that I had a leader look at me and say, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We have to compete with Amazon. We have to compete with McDonald's. We have to compete with, you know, with all these spaces that uh, were uh, non-issues yeah, for us before. Yeah. You know, before, if I wanted to do a market analysis, I only needed to look at the area hospitals. And yeah. we were all pretty much paying the same. Yeah. So then you could just offer an extra dollar and now you're the eyeing paid person. You know, yeah. now Target is offering tuition reimbursement. Mm -hmm. So all the little perks of working in the hospital are suddenly being found outside in these other markets. Well, and, and for especially a... a, a an organization like Target, right, which is simply set up to generate cash. Yes. Right? A retail front is set up to print money if done the right way, right? And so they have the bandwidth to oh, yeah. work out, okay, well, we can just eat into a margin a little bit and we're covered. But oh, a yeah. hospital that, albeit don't, a cash business. I must say, don't let them off the hook too easy. <laughs> because these major, especially these major healthcare systems are multi-billion dollar a year companies. Uh -huh. They are making money. Yeah. Um, and, and, and during the pandemic, the most obscene thing about it for me is almost every healthcare industry has had record. Profits yeah. and that has not <laughs> rolled down to the end users. So that so it's like and, and I and I hear people talk about like oh well you know the 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 pandemic has eaten into hospitals bottom line because they can't provide services. And yeah, that's they have very this true. And they 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 have that like how how much of that do you find to be real real and how much of that is just kind of a little bit played up? Yeah, there's there's definitely some truth to it, right? Mm -hmm. We did have to close down procedural areas and even within surgery, which was monumental for all of us mm -hmm. um, in my 14 years. And I know the folks with much longer careers than me, we've never seen the OR shut down. Mm -hmm. um, so that was different. Yeah. <laughs> that was different. And 
within the hospital system, the surgery department is typically where your big money maker is. They're they're generally your your financial generator that's supporting all services. So mm-hmm. it was it was something about that that you know even informed the pandemic, like trying to explain to people that like I remember when the pandemic first started and we learned that it was a respiratory issue, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I explained to my friends was it's not necessarily that we don't have the capacity to care for you. We don't have the capacity to care for you at that level of care because ICU departments are going to be the smallest departments. We Mm -hmm. should have the fewest people in there. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, their equipment is expensive, but I may have seven to eight bays, even at some of the larger facilities. Mm -hmm. Your surgery departments, however, typically have a lot of beds. Mm -hmm. And within, within that, they also have to have a beds for you to go to before and after mm-hmm. so there's just a lot of space a lot of um real estate that gets taken up by pre-op mm-hmm. you know registration uh post-op and then actually bringing you into the spaces so we did lose revenue in the sense that we couldn't do some of the smaller procedures in our clinics mm-hmm. um and we lost of course we lost dollars on not being able to bring in the case volumes but we made it back <laughs> um, <laughs> we made it back um because once they opened up surgery it was game on you yeah. know you had departments that um, had had opportunities to do like um, again like those lean projects where they were able to go through and, and make their spaces more efficient um, and then now we're bringing the patients back in and it's go time mm-hmm. so now you're dealing with backlogs and like places like my, my larger facilities like Kaiser mm-hmm. we always had backlogs of patients we were always trying to partner with other smaller facilities to get people through mm-hmm. but yeah we, we made the money back <laughs> I had I had no idea where our direction would go this evening. I didn't have any context for what <laughs> what we would land on, and I have learned so much just about some some basics from like really the right level within a hospital environment, right? Like you're not right there at the base level. See see just your uh, you know task at hand, but you're also not like so high up in the clouds that yes. all you can see is the thirty thousand foot view. You're like the ascending plane that like we're still close to the ground we're still but like yes we're just below the clouds and so <laughs> yes. I, like i know where all of my environment is right now. yes and, and we need to find ways to keep our c-suite underneath that cloud line yeah um because again you just see it becoming more of a power issue mm-hmm. um and folks are escalating up to those levels and then they're in, they're inaccessible um which is not a way you run business you know there's almost i can't think of another industry where you could just be hands off of everything because mm-hmm. there's an apartment manager or a director for everything mm-hmm. so they really can't come in and walk out right <laughs> and, and and it runs on its own so you you have to have that and i feel like in healthcare especially if you get too far away from the floor you're gonna lose perspective on what's really important yeah um and it's is there's so many pieces to our surveillance and um our regulation that need to be beefed up in major ways so you just you see things kind of falling through the cracks and it's I'm glad that I started in the sterile processing space to really get a ground floor view of that um, and be able to take it through into other areas and take it through in my experience of educating because it's um, it's the real pandemic like surgical site infections, hospital acquired infections. That's the real pandemic. We lose so many people um, and nobody even none the wiser that there, there are recourses for them or, mm-hmm. you know, processes in place for them to navigate that. Because when you come into a hospital, it's not um, necessarily uncommon for you to to get an infection. So mm-hmm. you don't really see an issue with it. Like mm-hmm. for you, if you're going into surgery, you know, it's a possibility. So if you do have one, you're like, well, 
that's just surgery, right? You don't know as a patient that you might want to be concerned about your sterile processing department, what kind of mm -hmm. water quality they have, how long are they running their steam sterilizers, uh, do they have people that are trained, are your scrub techs scrubbing uh, the right amount of time? Are people taking time out before your case? Like, if I see things like a wrong site surgery, for me, I go, nah, that's a surgeon, an anesthesiologist, a circulating nurse, a scrub tech, and probably at least a manager mm -hmm. that should have caught that before you even got cut. Yeah. Right? So this is not just an accident. This yeah. is negligence. Yeah. And when patients don't have that knowledge, they're not able to frame it that way, and they're not able to advocate for themselves. And the... the just the mystery of the system to the folks that operate outside of it, which is, you know, most people. Most people. Right? Just like most people don't understand the system of law. Most people don't yes. understand the healthcare system. These these things are, are set up to be mysterious in yes. nature and their complexity. Absolutely. It is to our benefit that you remain ignorant. Um, it allows us to get away with a lot. And even from a surveying perspective, um, you know, we, we, like I remember when I was here at SIH, when our Joint Commission surveys would come in, they didn't actually enter our department. They would go to the manager's office and they would look at the records and they would leave. Mm -hmm. You know, so if I was in there swinging off the rafters, nobody was none the wiser. Mm -hmm. And they don't have um, a good process in place to have subject matter experts reviewing areas. We see a trend that if you have an RN or you have a physician's license, folks tend to believe that you know everything about healthcare instead of understanding that you are a specialist just like everybody else. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna go grab my ortho surgeon to talk to me about anesthesiology. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna have my anesthesiologist come down to sterile process and talk to me about clean and sterile instruments. Mm -hmm. So being able to put enough of a uh, emphasis on those sub areas and really lift them up as mm -hmm. a science as they are. I mean, we do it with everything, like how we play teachers to the left, like they're not important and, <laughs> you know, but they're producing the next generation. Like it, yeah. it's just, it's goofy sometimes the disconnects that we have. This is some heavy shit. <laughs> I just—I mean, I knew we were gonna get into some shit, but like, I just didn't know like just how. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a challenge. So, I'm gonna—I'm gonna steer complete away from Left. the uh, from industry talk and talk about home. We'll we'll wrap up on this, and we're 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 just hitting our our 50 minute mark here. The um, you know what do you what do you what did you miss? about home as you've as you've been gone and like what do you miss just like being home and looking around and going this is what home is missing right now to me as somebody Ooh. that grew up in like a like a pretty good time to grow up in Carbondale yeah. like you you had you had like you're you're at the right age to like really you've gotten a rich experience from a lot of different directions yeah definitely um being back here I think one of the things I've missed from being in in the cities is is the small town mm -hmm. um like even from the sense of like traffic the fact that i can go from one side to the other in 10 <laughs> minutes you know versus having to spend an hour in traffic to go 10 miles uh -huh. you know so that type of stuff is nice to have the access parking you know being in a city trying to find parking or having to pay an extra 200 dollars a month at work to park my car yeah like it's it's some of the like little stuff um and then definitely community because i feel like carbondale um isn't is a unique space in that we definitely have these um these like larger community values mm -hmm. that permeate in this in this town, you know, even versus, you know, going out to some of the smaller towns. And so I think it gave me a great foundation morally, you know, going out into the world. And I 
I appreciate that. Um, and then some of the stuff that I wish I could see, like coming back to the to the town, um, definitely um, some. I, I think it's happening. Like Carbondale has always been. Um, described as like hippie and progressive. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of movements come through here. Like it's a really unique small town. Yeah. And I think it, it it's almost perfect in the sense it's like a, it's like a perfect microcosm of, of any American town mm -hmm. or any American city. And so um, I'd like to see more progression come in. You know, um, like I know I posted on on Facebook about the uh, the hostile urban architecture that mm -hmm. we have downtown where we have this speaker blasting out music you know to deter people from using the public space and mm -hmm. it was it's heartbreaking to come in here and see that you know like being out in oakland um we would see that especially when it came to homelessness like they would put you know bars on the benches so that people mm -hmm. couldn't lay down and instead of addressing their homelessness issue um and so kind of seeing my town take that approach you know to to tend into that issue was disheartening um you know we've seen we've seen kids being snatched out of uh gas stations and the, the shootings and so it's just it's sad to see a space this small that honestly can wrap its arms around these topics because you're mm -hmm. not a Chicago, you're not a Oakland, you're not a Boston. Mm -hmm. um, choose to not. They just simply choose to not engage in that way. And I either see people saying, you know, um, well, you're like, we need more police presence or, you know, the, the town's just going to shit because of these <laughs> things. And it's like, nah, this is, this is happening everywhere. Yeah. Carbondale's not unique in that way. I'm just shocked to see the way that Carmen does choosing to react. See, that's that's an interesting perspective to apply to it is to say, you know, because it's easy enough for everybody to say these are issues that occur countrywide, right? Like very real. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just the, the the reality, especially gun violence, the reality of the proliferation of arms throughout the United States. And, I'm a, and I am an admitted, like, gun guy. Like, I like guns. I own guns. Like, it's my shit. But that doesn't mean that we don't have an issue around it, right? Yeah. Like, the fact that we don't have... You know, I've, been, I've been thinking about this. Like, what are things that you can do? Well, you can demystify it. You can, like, actually engage young people in just, like, the reality that firearms exist. And, like, here's how we're going to educate you about this. Just like we educate you yeah. on driving a car because driving yes. a car exists and you're not going to avoid especially traffic here. existing especially here like i'm not i'm not a gun owner um but i grew up here yeah. so i have you know a different perspective i think than and especially than being out in the cities folks are pretty just anti yeah um but you know i grew up here we 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 go hunting people yeah. around here you know it's not it's not abnormal for a family to own a gun yeah. um and it's not abnormal for like young people um to to own them or to use them to go out hunting like there were times where we would shut school down on the first day of hunting day because yeah. nobody was gonna be yeah. there <laughs> so you know so that's where i'm coming from but i think especially when we're talking about gun violence mm -hmm. it's almost a completely divergent conversation because mm -hmm. it's not just about gun ownership right you can obviously have guns and be safe mm -hmm. if we got all these people out here deer hunting and we're not having accidents and we're not nobody's taking buck shots to the you know to, <laughs> to the restaurant yeah then that means we can do this so what are the other issues mm -hmm. that are stoking this flame yeah you know and i would like to see a place that has as much um thought power as a carbondale with a college you know with these community colleges with our hippie you know landscape or whatever <laughs> you want to call it i'd like to see them doing a little more mental work yeah. around why is this happening no it's not just black and brown people yeah um and even if it is 
why? Yeah. You know, it's you even know, if it is, give a shit. Give a fuck <laughs> because it's your community and let go of these um explanations that allow you to ab- abdicate your yeah. responsibility. You know, if I just look at a group and go, well, they're, you know, they're naturally more aggressive, so that's just what they do. Yeah, I God miss damn. I just and that's 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 so real and I and no. I can't I can't even begin to fathom what it is like to be black in this country and to have things just like casually stated to you like all that. the time. All the time. Um, you know, dealing with yeah, dealing with that on a daily basis is a mental health crisis in and of itself. Yeah. It it causes you to question your being. You know, I've 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 definitely been in experiences where I've allowed people's comments to make me question myself, question my intelligence, question yeah. my integrity, question my competence. Um just simply because of the onslaught was like, okay, if this many people are coming at me with that type of negative thought, then is am I missing it? Like I'm the common denominator mm-hmm. here. Am I missing it? But then having to pull back and say, well, you know, again, not not pulling a race card or anything, but just being honest, I'm the only African-American on my leadership team. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the only one that's getting these topics. You know, I'm the only one that my boss is coming in going, what's up, homie? While, I, while the rest of us are saying, you know, good afternoon. It's time for the meeting to start. Uh-huh. You know, how are you? And they're like, yeah. hello, hello, hello. What's up? And it's like, uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> right? So it, it's a challenge. But I, I think Carbondale has a long history of segregating it's black and brown populations from yeah. the rest of the town. Mm-hmm. It's physically evident. Um, and I think even from the perspective, like I watch like a lot of grants being given and new projects, it's never on the east side. Mm-hmm. It's ne- you know, it's never anywhere near here that's mm-hmm. getting new uh, you know, buildings or dog parks or new sidewalk pavement or bike trails. Mm-hmm. They just get completely left out. And even from the experience of the Ermacy Hayes Center, Ermacy Hayes is actually um my great 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 grandmother. Um seeing the progression of what the Ermacy Hayes used to offer versus where they are now. And mm-hmm. I know they're they're being revamped. But there's a lot of history there. And so if you make it your business to not only disenfranchise the area, but to never offer them the resources that are coming in, it's it's totally, and I'll just say not fair, mm-hmm. you know, for you to turn around and then bastardize them as though you don't understand what the fuck's going on here. If they can't get jobs in the prominent places that are here, mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they're not in a, in a space where transportation wise, they can even reach some of the other sides of town. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a vested interest in the community aspect because they're not being invited to the community table. Yeah. So it's, 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 it, it has to stop. It, it really has to stop. Um, and and there's a, a tendency, I think, in all of America when we talk about race issues to want to just slide things under the rug. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we've got folks here that have, you know, been exposed to chemicals and are, you know, generationally mm-hmm. still dealing with that. Um, I saw a post come through about the shooting that took place on the east side where they shot over 400 building, or bullets into a building, mm-hmm. um, you know, dealing with the Black Panther Party. And all of that is is something that will corrode the generational confidence that's in the space. Part of the reason why a lot of um, black and brown folks that live here don't feel like there's upper mobility is because there's not yeah. for them. It just doesn't exist for them. And the easiest way, because you can argue with me, I'm on Facebook, but the, <laughs> e- <laughs> but the easiest way for you to take a temperature and tar- is just turn around and look at your space. Yeah. If you turn around and you look at your community and you don't see nobody that don't look like you, 
there's a problem. If you're hiring manager and you turn around and you look and you don't see anybody that doesn't look like you, it's a problem. And I'm telling you, it's not a problem with the people that don't look like you. <laughs> it's, it's you. There's something bias, some bias in your system. Um, you know, and this could be even down to like uh, HR, you know, how resumes get taken mm -hmm. in or, you know, things like that. But you have to look at it and you have to start being practical about how we bridge the gap between the two Carbondales. Because until we do, you're going to see a perpetuation of things that are associated with low income and low poverty areas like crime. Mm -hmm. It's a no brainer, <laughs> you know, and. The thing about spaces like this that irritate me beyond belief is we know what it takes to have a good family. Mm -hmm. You know, we know we know you need a little bit of land. We know you need a home. We know you need stability in your job. We know you need access to be able to do your passions. That's why we we crafting out here. We, we've got, you know, the varsity. I, I need to see my people, yeah. you know, on the stage. And then the last thing I'll say about that is um, it's unfair in the sense that the families that have been here for generations um, that are black and brown that have not been able to have the same access have been supporting the the economy of Carbondale, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think about my mom. She, and she'll probably kill me for talking about this. Ah. But I love you, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a perfect example. Um, she worked for SIU for uh, almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. She's waiting on retirement right now. Um, and so, you know, for me growing up here, it, saying it out loud, my mother working at SIU for my entire childhood should have meant a different lifestyle for us. Yeah. We shouldn't have had to been on food stamps. You know, we shouldn't be looking for rent assistance or electric assistance. She should have been able to support her family with what she had, buy a home here, you know, things of that nature. And it, it just didn't connect. And so now that she's into retirement space and she's totally giving her body to that system, mm -hmm. she's having some medical issues. And we have been, I think we're six months in now of trying to navigate her paperwork with SIRS to get her paid. At, I think it's like 60 percent. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. You know, how many people, how many students has she supported to come through here and enrich this place? How many businesses has she allowed to be able to thrive? And she's not getting no community benefit. She's not even being seen, you know, so coming, coming, especially for me coming out, coming in from the outside as a patient advocate, I found that um, there's a lot left on the table with folks that just do are not having the same experience as other folks on the on this same town. And it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That's it. That's where we. Oh, come on, Nathan. Manager, manager thing here. You got this. Uh, that's where we end the 96th episode of WT of Carbondale Podcast uh, on something that's ridiculous, yes, but more so important. Uh, Alessandra, Nichols, Ale Alessandra Nicholson. Yes. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me on. Have a good one, folks. Whatever that one may be.